this is Avery Kramer, planning staff. Um, yes, and I uh, am ready to give the uh, hybrid meeting script um, at any point that you're ready for it. Okay. This is Commissioner Kelly Irby at 6.02 p.m. So I'll, I'll go ahead and call the December 15th meeting of the HRC to order. I will turn things over to Avery to do her administrative work. Thank you, Avery. Yes, uh, thank you, Vice Chair. Good evening and welcome to the December 15th Historic Resources Commission meeting. My name is Avery Kerner and I'll be helping to facilitate the Zoom portion of tonight's hybrid meeting. Tonight's meeting is being recorded and broadcast on the city's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. For those who are joining the meeting via Zoom, please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not actively speaking to help minimize distractions. Unless you are participating in the meeting, please also turn your video off. For those who are actively participating in the meeting, please keep your video on. We also ask that everyone state their name each time they speak to ensure that everyone is able to follow along. And with that, I'll turn the meeting back over to the vice chair. Commissioner Irby, thank you very much. Um, I think I'll start with a roll call. Um, so Commissioner Irby is here. Uh, Commissioner Johnson. Commissioner Johnson here. Uh, Commissioner Meyer is, is not here. Um, I don't think Commissioner Holder is on HRC anymore. Uh, Commissioner Azell. Commissioner Ezell here. Commissioner Holly. Commissioner Holly present. Commissioner Klein. Commissioner Klein present. Commissioner Coleman. Commissioner Coleman present. Um, and then, okay, thank you. Uh, we will move on to communications. Uh, Lynn, it looks like we need to receive some some communications from the SHPO and the general public, is that right? About the, the Nude Anderson Farmstead? Lynn Braddock Zollner, Historic Resources Commission Administrator. It is both of those are from the State Historic Preservation Office. One is um, explaining that the commission has the right to comment on the National Register nomination and then one is the actual nomination. So typically in the past, the commission has reviewed those documents and directed staff to send a letter of support for the proposed project if they think that it meets the criteria for National Register listing. Commissioner Irby, thank you, Lynn. Um, has everyone had a chance to look at those documents? And do we want to go ahead and ask staff to send such a letter of support? Could somebody make a motion if so? Commissioner Klein moves approval of um, asking staff to support the uh, proposal for the Kansas, for the nude Anderson homestead to be placed on the Kansas Register of Historic Places. Okay, Commissioner Klein has asked. Commissioner Holly second. Thank you, Commissioner Holly. Um, so all those in favor of asking staff to write a letter of support um, for this property, uh, uh, nomination, say aye. 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 Oh, wait, I have to say it. Sorry. I'm <laughs> I'm used to being back in person at school. Uh, I need to do a roll call vote. So um, we'll take a roll call vote. Commissioner Johnson. 
Commissioner Johnson, yes. Commissioner Coleman. Commissioner Coleman, yes. Commissioner Klein. Commissioner Klein, yes. Commissioner Holly. Commissioner Holly, yes. Commissioner Azell. Commissioner Azell, aye. And Commissioner Irby is also an aye. So uh, that motion passes. Thank you, Lynn and Avery and staff for uh, drafting that letter of support. Um, we'll move on to disclosure of ex parte communications. Does anyone have any communications, any ex parte communications to disclose? Okay, hearing none, I'll move on. Are there any declarations of abstentions for agenda items? Okay. Moving on to uh, receipt of committee reports. There are, it doesn't look like there are any on the agenda. Lynn, are there any committee reports that we need to receive? Lynn Braddock-Zollner, Historic Resources Administrator. There are no committee reports this evening. Okay, great. Thank you, oh, Commissioner Irby, thank you. We'll go now to the consent agenda. Um, can I get a motion to confirm the um, administrative administrative approval items. Commissioner Holly, so moved. Commissioner Klein, second. Okay, we will take another roll call vote. Commissioner Johnson. Commissioner Johnson, yes. Commissioner Coleman. Commissioner Coleman, aye. Commissioner Klein. Commissioner Klein, yes. Commissioner Holly. Commissioner Holly, aye. And Commissioner Ezell. Commissioner Ezell, aye. Commissioner Irby is also an aye. So that passes. Thank you. We will move to public comment. Is there anyone there in the room, Avery and Lynn, who would like to make public comment? General public comment. This is Avery Kerner, planning staff. There is no one present in the room to provide general public comment. And is there anyone in the Zoom room here? This is Avery Kerner, planning staff. No, there is not. Okay, thank you. Uh, we will go now to public hearing item. So we'll look at um, DR 22003371000 1000 Missouri Street and 1111 West 10th Street. Lynn, I'll turn things over to you or or someone else if Lynn's not the right person. Good evening, Commissioners. Lynn Braddock-Zollner, Historic Resources Administrator. Um, for you this evening, we do have a demolition request at um, 1000 Missouri Street and 1111 West 10th Street. This is an ORIAD Neighborhood Design Guidelines Review because the property is located in District 1, low density of the ORIAD Neighborhood Design Overlay District. This is showing the property location here outlined in the blue. This is 10th Street and then Missouri Street. This is 1000 Missouri Street. It's a Craftsman bungalow. And looking down the side that face runs down Missouri Street. 
and then the um, east side of the structure. This is 1111 West 10th Street. Looking at the rear of that structure showing the additions. This is the alley side of the building. In the staff report, um, it was mentioned that the structure seemed um, in fair condition, even with the age of the structure. But since then, the staff went back to the alley and did notice some structural deficiencies um, in the on that alley side of the structure, there seems to be some mortar missing and some crumbling of the foundation. It's impossible to tell what the extent of that deterioration is um, because there was no structural analysis included in the packet. And this is the garage that's on the site. This is a view showing the um, the two properties or parcels are outlined here in the kind of the bright blue. These gray lines are the platted lot lines and the brown is the footprint of the existing structures. So this is that Craftsman bungalow that we saw, the traditional house that was along the alley and then this is the garage structure. So. The applicant is proposing to demolish these two structures and build three new, well, all three structures and then build three new structures on lot 17, 16, and 15. So it's important to note that it would be possible to demolish the accessory structure on lot 15 and do infill construction on lot 15 while leaving the 1000 and 1111 um, intact. Staff is of the opinion that the proposed project does not meet the development and design standards of the Oriad Neighborhood Design Overlay District. Specifically, it does not meet standard D1, which is that character-defining structures shall not be demolished. Both of these structures are character-defining as outlined in your staff report. Uh, D3, when the removal of a character-defining feature or structure is necessary, the feature or structure that is compatible with a district shall be installed. There is no replacement plan for the proposed project. And then D4, plans for compatible replacement of features or structural cell accompany a request for demolition of character-defining features or structures. And again, there was no um, replacement plan submitted with the project. And with that, I'd be happy to stand for any questions you may have. Sorry, Commissioner Irby, sorry, I muted myself. Uh, Lynn, thank you very much. Uh, does anyone have questions for Lynn? And then we'll open it up to public comment. Uh, oh, go ahead, Jane. Go ahead, uh, Commissioner Holly, Lynn, um, following up on one of the items you mentioned with the lot, labeled 15 with the garage if would staff be in does staff consider the garage a character defining structure like i know it's all it's all submitted one but the small right. i'm asking like if that demolition could be permitted hypothetically without the others being 
I, I think it probably is character defining for the neighborhood, but it does seem to be kind of isolated on its own area at the back of that lot. And so it may not have the historic connection, even though it's been there since the 1920s. So I think that's something that the commission would have leeway with um, discussing whether or not that structure still contributes to the overall character of the district. Thank you. Com uh, Commissioner Irby, Lynn, does, is that something that the um, applicant is in, like, have they, would they be interested in, in just taking down the garage? Lynn Braddock Zollner, Historic Resources Administrator. It is my understanding from the applicant that they want to remove all three structures. Okay. Thank you. Commissioner Klein, I know you have a question. Um, I, I was just curious if we happen to know the reason why the applicant did not submit um, design proposals for new structures. It is my it is my understanding that they did not want to incur the expense of going through the structural analysis and the replacement um, projects due to financial concerns. Hmm. Commissioner Irby, but Lynn, like, well, I guess we should hear from the applicant. Does anyone does anyone else have I have questions that are more in that line about what the applicant like what they're intending for this lot these lots but um i can ask those of the applicant does anyone else have other questions for lynn commissioner coleman i have a broader question i guess um with the application of the oread design guidelines um does it list this property as contributing or possibly contributing it's not in a historic district right Right. It's not in the historic district and um, the guidelines use the 50 year mark for contributing, non-contributing if they um, maintain integrity of design. OK, thank you. Commissioner Irby, any other questions? At this time, we might come back for more questions. OK, thank you for the questions and the answers. Is the applicant present and would they like to make comment? Or answer questions. Yeah. Okay, let me. All right, Kurt, you may have to help me get back to uh, Lynn. Is the presentation available on there? Austin yeah. to speak? Yes. Yeah. Um, sorry, my name is Austin. I've unmuted myself. Um, I am in here on Zoom to help uh, the owner, Blaine Clark, represent um, and kind of go over what our kind of plan is and um, kind of give you guys like a PowerPoint slide of what we kind of envision for the project. Um, Blaine, oh. I don't know if you can control the slides while you're um, in there for me. That'd be great. I would appreciate that. Well, did you want to navigate the slides? Or oh, did you want to navigate the slides? If you guys can, that's fine. I can, or if you guys want, I can. Um, okay, yeah, so uh, we appreciate you guys for taking the time to allow us to um, come to this meeting tonight and um, kind of explain the project that we envision for these two properties at 1000 Missouri Street and 1111 West 10th Street. Um, next slide, please. Again, um, the presentation here is just to allow the properties to revert back to their original platted lot lines. Um, accomplishing this will allow the owner 
to build three new residential homes facing Missouri Street with a plan to demolish the existing garage and two existing residential homes, just as Lynn had laid out um, earlier. Next slide, please. Um, we have been in pretty close contact with Lynn um, over these last couple weeks, and we knew that this was kind of the staff's recommendation of denial due to the five listed factors here, um, you know, with location and structure, date, the, the evidence for demolition, uh, contribution to the district, and lack of replacement plan. Um, so we kind of want to just kind of hit these key points and kind of explain our thought process and, you know, what we want to do for the project. Uh, next slide, please. Um, so we do understand uh, the subject properties are located within the Orient Neighborhood Design Overlay District, and I'm sure you guys are aware. Uh, we do know that the green boundary shown is the outer boundary of that district, and um, we know that staff's recommendation is due to the structures being over 50 years old. So we don't want to discredit that that's not, you know, a fact. We do know that, and uh, we do acknowledge that that is part of what the, our project is that they are older structures. Uh, next slide, slide please. Um, shown here are two uh, surrounding properties, 945 and 946 Missouri Street. Both of these properties are within the same district, the Oriad Neighborhood Design Overlay District. Um, the images to the left are for of 946 Missouri Street. The top image is a uh, screenshot from Google Maps. This was taken back in 2011. And the bottom image was taken on December 1st um, from a site visit. And you can see the structure that was shown um, uh, from the 2011 images demolished and laying in the backyard of the owner. We're not, uh, you know, accusing of that they didn't co go through any process. They didn't do anything. We just kind of want to, you know, show that there have been improvements made and demolition has gone within the area that we're working in. Um, the images on the right are of 945 Missouri Street. And again, this property was built within the last five years, according to the owner. And again, we just want to show that, um, you know, projects have been happening within the district in the recent years. Next slide, please. Um, uh, the current uh, residential structures are dated around the 1890s. Um, the current state of the structures are in pretty bad conditions, including broken and bowed foundation issues, dilapidated and possible irreparable pairs, and a possible sanitary issue that I want to touch on a little bit later. Um, but as you can see in the image on the left, um, that foundation is from the image of 1000 Missouri Street on the east side. The foundation is very bowed. Um, it probably bows after visiting on site, probably with a foot into the actual outline of the structure. Um, and then again, Lynn had kind of gone over the other structure and it's mortar missing on the southeast corner of that property. Um, the owner has determined that the costs of the repairs just don't really seem worth it. And it's more cost effective um, from this point um, to rebuild the residential homes. And when rebuilding the homes, the owner would fix any sanitary issues and has proposed to build a sidewalk that would go along Missouri Street, which I have a layout that we can show later in the slides. Uh, next slide, please. The current garage located in the southwest corner of the property, in our opinion, does not bring a real historic um, you know, contribution to the district. Uh, you can see on that image, the garage is made out of plywood and it sits on a deteriorated concrete slab. 
uh, allowing you know this structure to be demolished would give the owner a chance to actually build a more character defining structure to contribute to the neighborhood. Um, next slide, please. This slide here shows a layout of proposed replacement plan, and then it's versus what the actual existing layout is. The proposed layout is three residential homes facing in a west manner, having direct access to Missouri Street, all sanitary issue problems resolved by directly connecting to the city sanitary sewer located in the alley directly east of the subject properties. Finally, demonstrating access to proposed, uh, excuse me, finally demonstrating driveway access and proposed new sidewalk along Missouri Street. The current sanitary issue and mention is located in the existing layout as shown on the right side of the slide. Near the southeast corner of West or uh, 1111 West 10th Street, the property has three sanitary cleanouts symbolized by the COs and uh, the most southerly cleanout shown in the actual or excuse me shown is the actual stub for what would be the West property 1000 Missouri Street. The issue is, is that we have a sanitary connection crossing two different properties. Um, so in the proposed layout, the owner is wanting to fix that sanitary issue by connecting three new sanitary stubs to these three new structures. Um, and the owner is happy to meet any further replacement plan requirements or requests if, you know, this becomes approved and we can have it as a stipulation or, you know, any any other things that may be required. Uh, next slide, please. So in conclusion, we understand the importance of the preservation within the Oriad neighborhood overlay district, but these structures located at 1000 Missouri Street and 1111 West 10th Street are either possibly dilapidated upon repair or bring no contribution to the historic district in our opinion. If the structures can be repaired economically, this doesn't make sense for the owner's best interest. Staff required additional documentation, including a replacement plan and an evaluation by a licensed engineer, licensed architect, or licensed contractor. The owner is happy to make these requests a stipulation of approval. The owner felt that upfront costs requested for the, these documents wasn't necessarily, wasn't a, a necessary until some kind of approval was met. Our original proposal that we had originally talked to Lynn about was for three new residential structures facing Missouri Street, and that is still our goal when this project is all said and done. But after tonight's meeting, our main focus is reverting lot 15 shown here, um, back to its original design of being a 50 foot by 147 foot lot facing Missouri Street on the south side of the project. This would include demo demolishing the existing garage and building a new residential home. We believe if approved, the owner can demonstrate his ability to bring a character defining structure to the Orient Historic District. Thank you and we're happy to answer any questions you guys may have. Commissioner Irby, thank you for your presentation. Um, does is there other public comment on this item? This is Avery Kerner, planning staff. No, I think Austin touched on pretty good points. Um, you have public comment. This is Avery Kerner, planning staff. We do have one person in uh, in person uh, to provide comment. Commissioner Irby, okay, go. please go ahead. This is Mike Delaney. I'm uh, the president of the Lawrence Preservation Alliance. Um, when, when we reviewed the, um, the, the packet that the commissioners received, um, 
it, our, our conclusion was that there wasn't really very much to, uh, uh, to, to argue about here. The requirements um, uh, that the staff uh, seeks, that is uh, a replacement plan, uh, evidence of uh, of the dilapidated condition of the buildings uh, wasn't supplied up front. We're, from the LPA standpoint and also from the standpoint of the Oria neighborhood where I'm a resident, um, these um, structures around the margins of the, uh, of the district are uh, important. Um, there is a procedure uh, to, to consider demolition, but only if the, if the staff is provided with the appropriate information up front. And as a result, we don't think that there's any uh, any reason why this particular project ought to be approved at this stage. If the applicant has a, a revised approach uh, uh, involving the, the demolition of, uh, of one of the structures or something and can provide the appropriate information, I'm not sure LPA would have uh, would have any, any negative uh, uh, comment. But at least in this condition, uh, we feel pretty strongly that the application should be denied. Okay. Commissioner, Commissioner Irby, thank you. Is there any other public comment on this item? This is Avery Kerner, planning staff. There's no other public comment on this item, but I did want to mention that the property owner is in person tonight and is willing to, to help address any questions that the commissioners may have. Commissioner Irby, thank you. Does the owner want, or the applicant, does he want to make comment or just answer questions? This is Avery Kerner, planning staff. At this time, the, the property owner um, in the commission chambers tonight is uh, doesn't have any additional comments to provide. He's just uh, willing to, to help address any questions. Okay, Commissioner Arby. Okay, thank you. So let's bring it back to the commission for discussion. Um, I'll open the floor, but I'll go ahead and say that I'm inclined to agree with the LPA that, you know, we have rules and as commissioners we're supposed to interpret and follow the rules and in the guidelines and those that that hasn't been done here so i'm inclined to deny uh, commissioner klein um yes and, and one of the questions for i guess the property owner is uh when was what year was the last time that people lived in um both of each of those buildings or, and when were they vacated, I guess, is part of my question. Yeah, so they're currently um, occupied right now. Um, 1000 Missouri, there's an apartment upstairs and an apartment downstairs. Uh, they're both occupied. Um, everything works in the properties, you know. I have to keep them up. And on 1111 West 10th Street, um, there's an apartment upstairs, apartment in the middle, and then an apartment on the back of that, which is the addition, I believe. Um, two of those units are occupied. Um, the downstairs unit is not occupied. Um, and if you go inside, there is just extensive, extensive remodeling needed to be done um, with the building having, you know, other living spaces that are occupied um, financially. It definitely doesn't make sense because uh, right now the building is definitely don't rent for for prime rent just because of the condition that they're in um so financially feasible to you know start doing anything even with 1111 west 10th this really doesn't make sense because you still have a pretty dilapidated structure um upstairs and then the addition and as you can see um on the addition you can see a bunch of stuff around the property that tenant has been there 20 plus years 
um, just their belongings, to be honest. Um, I'd love to have it all cleaned up, but yeah, that's, that's for another time. Commissioner Klein. Um, uh, Commissioner Klein, a follow-up question. So if these, uh, if both buildings, in, the apartments in both buildings have been occupied and, and as you say, one of the um, residents has been there for 20 years, then it sounds to me like the buildings are, I mean, I don't know if they've had, if you've had uh, rental inspections or not, but it sounds to me that they are livable uh, structures, that they are safe for habitation. Um, so I'm not understanding your reasoning about why you would want to demolish instead of going through a structural analysis to, to understand what structural um, situation, what structural problems each building needs. Yeah, I'm not sure if we can pull back up the slides um, on the on the 1000 Missouri Street. It is hard to tell in the photo itself. But like Austin mentioned, that that foundation is on steel beams. Um, that east side is, like he said, is a foot inside the structure. It's really not holding anything right there. Um, it is steel beams on that whole east side that's holding it up. I don't know how long those steel beams have been there, um, but prior to me purchasing for sure. Um, and if you look at the front of it too, if you just walk the property, the front of it is the exact same, just like that. Um, I don't think we have a picture of that. And then the 1111 West 10th, um, the back half of that add-on there as shown in the picture, it is pretty much like that all the way around the whole structure um, in the front of that too, facing 10th Street. Um, and there's no pictures of that either. Um, and like Austin said, we do just think it's not really financially feasible. And to just come and spend tens of thousands of dollars at the moment, you know, to, to hear a no answer, which we know could happen. Um, but I would definitely love to to spend the money to do that, um, as long as I'm, you know, not promised, but there's a good reasoning, you know, that yes, if I do spend the money that, you know, we might be able to move forward on the project. Um, but like Austin was stating as well, we'd like to just spend some time and uh, tear down that garage for sure and, and show what we can build right there first. And then, you know, maybe revisit the whole situation to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think if you walk the property, I'm not sure it really does take a structural engineer um, to to see what we see um, if you do walk the property. So I guess that's kind of the reason why we, we didn't really want to spend the money or I didn't want to spend the money on going through the structural engineer process for demolish. Uh, Commissioner, we, Commissioner Coleman, did you have a question? Yes. Um Commissioner Coleman, could you describe to us when you say that 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 you can tell that it's bad and it would take a lot to rehab it? Could you kind of describe to us the things that you see? Like, um, I think there's a full basement under each. Um, so is just a full basement under 1000 Missouri Street. Um, the other one down below off the hill is uh, just a crawl space. Um, like the I one with the stone. The one with the stone, yep, is just a crawl space. And the middle apartment, like I said, is vacant right now. And we'll take extensive work to even get that back to livable. Um, so I'm in the process, it's, it's not even gonna happen. I don't have it for rent anywhere. Um, and if you go inside that one, the floor is really bowed. I mean, it is like seriously like this. Um, just walking it, you can really tell that the structure interiorly is, is definitely dilapidated for sure. Okay. 
And any other things you want to describe about how the walls look or the the ceiling or the roof rafters or yeah so the ceiling there's obviously it's lap and plaster um still has knob and tube wiring um obviously the lap and plaster is cracked all over the place um it was one house to begin with obviously way back when and sometime down the road it was split to three units um the wall placement of some of the walls Obviously, some of them aren't load bearing on the interior, but it definitely blocks off the actual defining of the whole interior of the house. You know, there's a wall running right along like a fireplace that wasn't there, obviously, before the units were split into actual units from a one single family house. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you just walk through it, it's it's pretty extensive of what needs to be done. OK, thank you. Commissioner Irby. Uh, yes, Commissioner Klein. Um, uh, I'd like to know what appreciation you have for the history of those two buildings, uh, what you've looked into about their histories of the previous first original owners. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't, it kind of cut out on the first part there. What was the first part of that question? I was wondering if you have looked into the history of those two homes and the owners, um, uh, the original owners of those two homes and, and to what extent you appreciate the history of those owners. Yeah, so I actually walked the property with Bruce Guy today. Bruce is who I bought them from. Um, Bruce has told me that his father had purchased those back in like 1955, um, and they've been in the family for that long. Um, and I purchased them from Bruce in, I want to say, 2018 or 2019. I can't remember exactly. Um, I have looked into the history of them. Um so they are old structures. I, I do believe that they're some of the first structures built in this whole area. Um, I have heard even before the football stadium. I have a follow-up question. Go ahead. Uh, Commissioner Klein, um, I also want to know, um, in terms of your future vision of putting three structures up, um, do you uh, plan on making those three structures uh, affordable to low-income families? Um, I guess that's not something I've really thought about. Um, I think this, this area is both a mix of some residential single-family homes with families and some mix of um, students on campus. Um, I do say the majority of the probably the students on campus now that the area has developed and a lot of the areas or houses in the area have been turned to units. Um, but yeah. Because part, of, part of what I'm wondering also is, is how, 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 much, how much rent you would charge for the new buildings in comparison to the rents you're charging now. Like what, what, percent rise the rents go up and generally speaking i know you can't give a firm estimate but but just a ballpark yeah um like i said to be honest i really want to turn it i know the property is zoned um i want to say it's rm12 where it can be multifamily. i don't want to do that i want to keep it single family um other units in the area i want to say are even thousand dollars a bedroom right now um, I don't think it'll be that high comparable on a single family house, but, uh, I think it would be, you know, if it's a four bedroom, four bath house, then, you know, 
$3,000, um, $750 a bedroom. Well, I, Commissioner Irving, while I really appreciate, like, I, I really appre I, I appreciate where this is going, Commissioner Klein. I want to ask Lynn, like, we, like, that's beyond the purview of this commission, correct? That is not in the design guidelines. We need to follow and interpret the design guidelines. Lynn Braddock-Zollner, Historic Resources Administrator, that's correct. You know, I want to I want to definitely, you know, if we get approval on this, I'm definitely going to go to, you know, extensive architectural design to make sure, you know, the structure is not crazy and out of whack, you know, with the neighborhood. I'm not definitely here to do that. Um, you know, to be honest, if I'm being honest, the apartment across the street that was just built actually is more out of place than what I'm really wanting to build myself. Like I said, I just want to do three single family houses and not even high density, um, just three single family residences that possibly could be sold to, you know, families and not even as rentals. Um, but going back to some of that um, with the, I really want to hit on the, the sanitary sewer stubs. If we can go to that, I'm not sure if I can move this. Well, Commissioner Irby, it sounds like we, I, I want to bring it back to the, to the commission for just a second. I, I mean, to me, like, there's no way we can uh, we can approve this. It, to me, it sounds like we need to give the applicant some advice about whether we might consider approving it were he to submit actual replacement structure designs. Um, so does anyone have questions that to help us be able to answer that question for him? I guess, can I say something real quick? I guess I just don't want to go through and spending, you know, right now, just even getting an architectural design to submit to you to have somebody spend the time to draw this up. I mean, it's going to be $10,000, you know, yeah. um, I really don't want to spend $10,000 just to get told no, you know, it's not that I can't do that. Um, and I'm willing to do that. But, you know, that's kind of just a sunken cost that it's pretty extensive, you know, with with the properties I currently have being very, very under rented. Um, and that's not your guys's fault at all. You know, that's not what we're here for. But I guess that would be the comment I have to that, that, you know, financially, I mean, even submitting three structures there. I mean, we're talking tens of thousands, you know, is it going to be 30,000 just to do that? And then you say no. I mean, I'm yes. not sure in here would, would even be wanting to, to, to take the time to do that and, and the money. We Yes, we appreciate that. Uh, definitely. Commissioner Johnson. Commissioner Johnson. Well, I. I from looking at what is being shown presently of what the three houses would be like, um, the having the driveways off of the, the main street instead of off of the alley is, isn't in keeping with the characteristics of the neighborhood. So that's an easy fix, I would think. Um, and uh, because that's a very suburban look of having the driveway on the front of the house. Um, the other thing that you could look at is that there are um, new urbanist or traditional neighborhood design pattern books of homes on a lot of this size that you can get house plans for and show what they would look like and what they would be like on these lots. That wouldn't be um, as extensive of having things designed um, particularly for it so that you could better show what what you have in mind and and actually show the plans so those would just be my little bits of of advice to 
be able to do this without spending a lot of money. Does do other commissioners Commissioner Arby, have can, can questions to help sewer system here? Sure. Um, slide here. Um, I guess what I would like to point out, especially, um, is with these three properties here. Um, of, yeah, so right here, um, if you're just looking at the properties on the right side here. I guess I do want to make a comment on this. As you can see, the properties are, you know, we're pointing to the properties here with the red arrow. And this is the whole neighborhood area. I mean, as you can see, there's not any other properties in this area that actually run north and south like these two properties. So that's what Austin and I were, were saying about, you know, the characteristics of the neighborhood. It actually is more characteristic, we think, to have these lots running east and west, just like the rest of the, the neighborhood. Because as you can see there with those lot lines from an overhead view, um, every single one of them runs um, east and west maybe than those ones on ninth and illinois um, but the other thing is the the sanitary sewer issue um so on 1000 missouri street as you can see over on the right side those are the two existing structures on the property um the sanitary sewer actually comes out the back south side i guess would be the southeast corner here and runs across into the property of 1111 West 10th, and it actually goes actually where it's supposed to, to the to the alley, um, and it even runs into lot 15, um, where you can see the clean out there. Um, so if I would even just want to sell this, the 1111 West 10th Street property to somebody and keep the 1000 Missouri Street property, um, which, you know, I could do, there's gonna be a lot of issues down the road too with, if something breaks down with that sanitary sewer on a 1000 Missouri Street on the other property owner's property, there has to be an easement or some kind of an agreement, you know, that if something does break down there, then then what's the issue and how do we fix it? And somebody's going to be tearing up on somebody else's ground. Mm -hmm. um, on the 1111 West 10th Street property, I'm not sure how far you guys can date back to how this sanitary sewer runs. Um, there's actually two sanitary sewers that come from this property one actually comes out the front of the property um to the north and the other one actually comes out the south the back half on the east side um the one on the north actually tied in across the street um from 10th street um there was a sewer breakdown that the Bruce had an issue with uh, his lines backing up and they had no idea why this was and come to find out when they did construction on 10th Street, they actually tore up the sanitary sewer um, and that's what was causing it to back up because there was no longer a, a connection. So it used to tie in across the street. Since then, they have actually brought it back. I'm not sure exactly when it happened. Um, I want to say late 90s um, but they actually have two stubs come out of one house and now they both tie in together um, and go down to the alley from my understanding um, but to be honest that's that's kind of the main reason why it's just the sanitary issue is 
this is a pretty difficult situation um, dealing with both properties. And I'm not saying I want to sell one or the other, but I think that is a major issue coming if it ever does happen down the road. Um, over the last, you know, 60 years, 70 years, um, the properties have always sold together, um, you know, and, and moving forward, if it does ever sell separately, then uh, that could be a major issue. Commissioner Arby, thank you for explaining that. Commissioner, guess, oh, go ahead. Commissioner Irby, I think our sentiments are probably overall agreed. Um, I want to say one uh, to the applicant, just not asking for comment, but I want to say I appreciate you and Austin's additional presentation of this information. Seeing what your plan is with, with some deference of maybe driveways are not the perfect plan, but overall this plan Three single, three single family, the sewer, I can see all of that making sense. So I, before I say, I am definitely not gonna recommend for this demolition, I wanna say, I like the direction this is going. I think this could be compatible with the neighborhood, but to Commissioner Irby's point, or Vice Chair Irby's point, we can only comment on the packet we have before us you know so we've heard some things but you know you just brought up the hypothetical for the future some of these rules why it's written into city code that we can't approve demolition without something new being done technically if we approved this as is despite the conversation we're having here and i trust you but like despite this you could flip the lots the next day and sell them and there's the city's lost any and all control over what goes there. I don't think that's your intent, but I'm just pointing out if we approve the immediate demolition of those, that's a total potentiality. I don't think that's what you're trying to do. It sounds like you really want to improve these lots and have some love for them, but we can only really act on what's before us. Um, so as proposed, I'm, I'm just going to state, you know, I would agree with staff's recommendation um, and don't think it meets the development guidelines you've already hinted at. And I'd be very interested in seeing, you know, like if there were a stopgap, cash flows beyond our district. We can't, or beyond our purview. We can't deal with that. If you brought a separate item to bring maybe the garage and 15 only and you build something there, can't comment on that, but I could, I could see some potential for that. And then you make a plan for the others, but I can't approve for this as is though, from what you've said and what Austin's presentation, I think this is headed in a potentially good and compatible direction for the neighborhood, but we just, we can't approve on hypotheticals. Um, so that's, that's my take. Commissioner Irby, thank you, Commissioner Hawley. I, I agree. I don't want to give the applicant false hope, though, that we will approve. I just, I don't know. I, I'm hopeful. Does anyone else have, I'm not yeah. an architect. Does anyone else have other feelings about this? Yes, Commissioner Coleman, um, the, the other piece I would add to that is um, you, would be smart to um, catalog in some way, visual and narrative, what 
is wrong with the property. Um, describing that the sanitary sewer like you did in person here tonight is a great example of that. Having a diagram like you have in this packet that you've shown us, along with a description of the complexities of it would help. And the um, physical description of the current property as it is and the problems that you're seeing with it, the stone that needs to be repointed, the foundation walls that are bowing and not supporting the floor above, and those other deteriorated elements that would need to be repaired um, to bring it up to uh, a standard that you would build new construction to if you can, would I think head off the first question, which would be, well, why can't you replace the garage with the property and then restore these two other buildings? So if you answer that question, that I think is going to be the main question and answer it in a way that that follows the guidelines and uses the language from the guidelines showing the examples um, that were mentioned before, then I think you could have a successful packet. Thank you. Yeah. I guess the, the long-term goal is to, I say the long-term is to have three structures here and short-term, you know, like I was telling Austin today when we were talking that this isn't, isn't a plan that I have, you know, to start right, right now, right away. Um, it is a plan I do have that if I can get approval to tear down that garage and replat just lot 15, as Austin said in our conclusion in, in goal for tonight's meeting, yes, we want to present the whole plan to you, but definitely is just, you know, if we can move forward with tearing down that garage and looking at putting a, a structure there first, you know, this other stuff, we can definitely push down the road. So I'm, I'm wanting to do that anyways. I don't want to, and I'm not, I, um, I can't remember your last name, but I'm not here to sell the properties. I'm not going to tear it down to sell the properties. I do want to contribute to the district. And I do want, I do have love for the properties. And I do think that I can, can improve the, the neighborhood with what I'm going to put there. But yeah, I guess our, our really goal, we want to present the whole project, but, um, we weren't for certain if we just presented the garage or if we just go ahead and present it all at one time. Um, but the garage is our main thing to at least open up that lot 15. Um, we don't know if we can get that approved tonight or how that works. Um, but, you know, that was what we really wanted to emphasize what we're here for tonight. Commissioner Irby, so is there is there any support for approving demolition of just the garage tonight without a replacement plan? Well, this is Commissioner Johnson. We're still bound by that. We need a replacement plan, right? I personally feel bound by that. Yes. Yeah. And it's sounding like there might be more support for the garage only with the replacement plan. I don't, again, I don't want to give the applicant too much hope for the homes uh because i know this body a is doesn't really like to approve demolition by neglect and two uh you know we we need to our obligation is to preserve is to follow the guidelines and 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 
uphold historic preservation, it's not necessarily what makes the most dollars and cents for the applicant. So I don't, I don't want to give him too much hope that we would approve. Uh, it does to me sound like the commission is a little bit more supportive of the, of demoing the garage. If we had a replacement plan, am I, please correct me if I'm, if I'm misreading the room here. Commissioner Holly, a question to Lynn. Um, so I, I had brought up that spontaneously. I haven't had any conversations with the applicant, of course, just looking at the plan, it made sense like, oh, that could be an approach. But to build on that lot, even if we approved, I don't know if we even could split the garage demo to build on that lot in this district, wouldn't the applicant need a full set of plans for review to come between before the HRC, where either way, a set of plans would be required? Correct. A set of plans would be required even if you demo the existing garage structure and you were going to put a new single family home on that lot. Those um, drawings would have to come back before the HRC. Commissioner Irby, that's kind of what I was saying, but it would just, you would just need a plan for the space of the garage, right? You would need the replacement plan for lot 15. Okay. Okay. Thank you for clarifying. And just to point out the, um, the replacement plans are um, in the guidelines. If severe deterioration exists in the, um, the structures have to be removed, but that first guideline that's stated in your staff report is a shell statement, and it says structures shall not be demolished. So I think that's um, something for the commission to discuss, that that's truly the first hurdle to get through whether or not you can demolish a character-defining structure when the guidelines say they shall not be demolished. I guess I do. Can I go back to a slide where we did have the pictures? Um, and I guess we're not we're not really trying to call anybody out. This is the property directly to the north. Um, the lady that owns this house, as you can see in the front picture, the top one, you know, that garage is still there. I'm not sure if she got approval from you guys to do so, but you can see her material laying in the back there. She just did that last fall. Um, you know, I just wanted you guys to know here I am, you know, in front of you before I even made one hammer throw at that at that garage like I've been wanting to the last four years. Um, so I, I did want to refer back to that. Commissioner Irby, thank you. And we appreciate that. We can't make decisions based on other people breaking the rules, though. <laughs> Should we discuss Lynn's point? That seems an important sticking point. Yes, Commissioner Klein. Commissioner Klein, are you ready for a motion, Chair Irby? Um, no, I think I'm not personally. I think we need to give the applicant more guidance on whether he has any chance. Okay. So are, do, do, can we give him some guidance on whether we would consider, seriously consider, um, demolishing the garage if you brought forward a replacement plan for lot 15 or are we are we unable to get past Lynn's very valid point that contributing structures shall not be demolished 
according to the design guidelines. I personally feel bound to follow the, the guidelines. Commissioner Klein. Um, Commissioner Klein, and I agree with you, um, Commissioner Irby, that, that we at this point, based on the plan before us, uh, we need to, we must deny um, this proposal based on the fact that no character defining structure shall be demolished. Um, and so at, at this point, but I think we can also um, recommend what Commissioner Holly um, also stated and, and what um, um, Administrator um, Zollner suggested is that perhaps the applicant could come back with a plan for just lot 15 uh, that shows a not only um, a request to demolish the garage, but also a um, replacement plan that shows an example of what a single family home, a new single family home would look like and the size and so forth. Commissioner Irby, yes, I agree, but are we are we going to seriously consider any plan? Like I agree that we can't we can't approve without the plan, but are we going to seriously consider a plan given that the guidelines say contributing structures shall not be denied? So are people are people willing to seriously consider a, a replacement plan as the next step? Well, and this is Commissioner Johnson. So, so D1 says character-defining structures shall not be demolished. D3 says when removal of a character-defining feature or structure is necessary. Yes. New features. So it, it does indicate that something could be demolished if we know that it can't be repaired and we have a good plan for replacement. Um, so it, it there's 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 kind of no getting around the having to show what would happen next, right? Um, yeah, and yes. and uh, and the reasons why we have these things is as you got deeper into it and got a uh, something indicating whether it could be repaired or not the houses that are there, you might find out that it isn't as bad as you think, and you, it could be affordable. And in that case, you would have the information that you would need to know whether it, the houses that are there could actually be saved. Um, you could uh, replat the lot so that the two houses are on their own lots and have the proper sewer lines that don't crisscross lots and that lot 15 is a lot of its own with a sewer so if you laid out the the plan and the ideal would be gosh i think i could save these houses let's replat let's get the sewers figured out so that each lot is sewered properly and lot 15 has a house on it that would be a great plan just speaking for myself. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I guess with where the city sanitary is and the location of the property, I, I just, from my knowledge of the sanitary sewer system running through the alley, there's just really no other way to make 1000 Missouri Street not run through either of the properties. Well, and but if you replat it, you can do an easement. Nope. Yeah. 
Yeah, and using it will work. It, it definitely diminishes the value of each property. And then, you know, you have to have approval, you know, from somebody else later on down the road. Hey, can I dig on your property? No, I don't want you to, you know. Well, if, if, if there's if there's an easement, then you have the right to be able to repair a sewer line. You would also be able to sell the two houses separately because they would be on separate lots. Commissioners, can I jump back in? This is uh, awesome. Yeah, let me just, Commissioner Irby, let me just say, I, to me, the commissioner, the commission needs to decide whether they, or they need to just give feedback. They don't have to decide, but they need to give some feedback about whether, how the probability or some general feedback about whether they're going to decide that the, the demolition of the garage is necessary, right? Like, so we all understand they're going to have to submit likely to decide that demolition of the garage is necessary. This is Commissioner Johnson. We just simply don't have the information to move forward tonight. This would require a different um, application with the proper documentation. Right, but like for, I appreciate the applicant's point that to, to go through that is going to be time intensive and expensive. So, I mean, if, if there's no way we're going to decide that, like, are, are we leaning towards saying, I don't want to bind us, but like, I think he, I think he needs a little bit more feedback about whether, how likely we are to do that. C commissioners, can I jump in? Cause this may be able to clear some of, you know, what we're trying to get here. Okay. Is, is, um, is there somebody that can give a definition or if this body is who decides, how do we determine a, a structure is a characteristic to the neighborhood or is you know, how, how do we determine these structures are defining towards the Oread district? If uh, maybe somebody can answer that because, um, you know, we understand the, the residential homes definitely we feel do in a, in a way, but th that garage doesn't seem to have the same effect as those residential homes. So I guess if somebody can maybe give us a definition on, you know, that meaning that would maybe help us in a way. Lynn, Commissioner Lynn, do you want to give a definition? Lynn Braddock Zollner, Historic Resources Administrator. Um, the way the guidelines are written, if it's over 50 years old and contributes to the overall character of the district, it's a character defining feature. By um, meaning overall character um, to the district would be size, scale, massing, placement, setbacks, height. All those things are in consistent states with the historic fabric of the neighborhood. These, um, the two primary structures definitely are character defining for the neighborhood. I think the garage structure, there's debate on whether or not it contributes to the neighborhood. It is off on its own. And um, even though it's over 50 years old, it may not be character defining for the neighborhood. Commissioner Klein. Commissioner Klein, I was just going to suggest um, that the applicants might read uh, the ORIA design guidelines in detail, and, and they have some examples of um, character defining in terms of size, placement, et cetera. 
Commissioner Holly, uh, a question to Lynn. Lynn, if if the applicant, I, I still haven't changed my over, and Apollo, I don't want to give, I, like Vice Chair Irby, don't want to give false help. I am an architect, so I'm filled with optimism. Um, don't want to give you false hope. If the applicant chose a path where they resubmitted an application for demolition of the parcel 15 only without resubmitting a plan, so hypothetical, it's not, they make a pitch that it's not hypothetical, it's not character defining. I do not want to take any guess as to how this commission would rule or how the associations would feel. But could they submit an application where they've carefully reviewed the Oriad design guidelines, talked with Oriad neighborhood, LPH um, or LPA, et cetera, and made their case that it is not character defining, therefore request for permit. Could they do that and request a demolition permit from this body with all of that if if it came up, if it was determined that it was not character defining after our discussion as a way of not having to spend the $10,000, wanting to be sensitive, but, but before they hire Stan Hernley, could they make the case for a demolition only if, if it were not character defining? I don't wanna make a statement of my opinion one way or the other, because I'd really like to see those bullet points and discussions from other groups of, is it defining or is it not? Because that's, to Vice Chair Irby's point, that's kind of, it hinges on that. Because if not demolition, there's a path for it, but if it's character defining, it's a it's a different question. So that's just a question to you, Lynn. Would that be a viable path? I think to have the demolition even of that accessory structure would need the replacement plan to go along with the demolition request based on the guidelines. Okay. Hi. So Commissioner Irby. Um, I'm not, I mean, I guess I'm inclined, I'm inclined to say I would seriously uh, consider a proposal if that included a argument for why it's not character defining or why it's necessary to demolish the garage with the replacement plan for lot 15. But that's, all, and I, I would seriously consider that. Uh, that's all I'm prepared to say at this moment. I would like if anyone else has like a comment like that to make, otherwise I think we should have a motion. Commissioner Coleman, I agree. I would also entertain that. Commissioner Holly also. Commissioner Klein as well. I would agree as well. Okay. Also. Oh, thank you, Commissioner Izzel. So uh, I know that I know that this is not satisfactory, but I hope that you feel like you have a little bit of guidance for your to plot your next move. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and make a motion that this body find 
that this proposed project does not meet the development and design standards in the Oria neighborhood design guidelines for the Oria neighborhood design overlay district. Specifically, it does not, uh, well, never mind. I cut off my motion. That's what I, that, that, my motion is just my first sentence. Uh, can I get a second? Commissioner Ezell, I second. Okay, thank you. We'll take a roll call vote. Commissioner Johnson? Why? Commissioner Johnson, yes. Commissioner Ezell? Commissioner Ezell, aye. Commissioner Klein? Commissioner Klein, aye. Commissioner Coleman? Commissioner Coleman, aye. Commissioner Hawley? Commissioner Hawley, aye. And Commissioner Irby is also an aye. Thank you. Uh, thank you, everyone, for all your comments and opinions. We we do appreciate that. And um, I think we Blaine and I can take this back to the drawing board and really bring you guys something that'll actually, you know, we can, you know, this was kind of a preliminary meeting, we felt just to get, you know, how you guys were going to feel about the project. And I think we could really bring something to you where, um, you know, you guys would be in support of and, you know, have, you know, a better feeling about it than you know now. So again, we thank you for all your opinions and um, appreciate your you know your time tonight. Pleasure. Thank you. We appreciate that. Um. All right. Just now we have a study session. Oh, there are no miscellaneous items, right? Anyone have a miscellaneous item? All right. So we will move on to the study session. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Lynn Braddock Zollner, Historic Resources Administrator. There was um, added to your packet earlier today a document that summarizes the proposed changes to Chapter 22. And then I hope you had a chance to go over the previous chapter and how it differs from the proposed chapter. I know we've been talking about this for a little while, and we had a kind of brief overview a couple of months ago about what, um, what the changes were. There are I don't know if you want to go through these article by article, if you want to just go as into it as changing, publicizing to promotion, that kind of wordsmithing, or if you just want to look at the high um, level items, what we would be looking for is conversation about some of these items and then recommendations from the commission as to whether or not this is appropriate, whether or not it needs to be changed, whether or not um, you have other items that you would like considered in these different articles. So I would defer to you on if you want to take these article by article, if you want to do public comment at each article, or if you would like to go through article article and then take all your public comment at the end. Commissioner Irby, what do others on the commission, what would be most useful? Commissioner Klein. Um, initially coming into the meeting, I was thinking it'd be great to um, go through the revisions that are the easiest, you know, that, that like putting all the, moving all the 
definitions to the end of the document. I mean, I, I think that makes perfect sense. Um, and then, uh, uh, and, and perhaps vote on those, or at least vote to recommend on those, and then uh, tackle the more, um, you know, the other ones that have more debate. I, I will admit, I just now noticed um, uh, the letter from uh, the Lawrence uh, Preservation Alliance of December 7th that I have not had a chance to read yet. So, um, I was going to read that to see because I really appreciate the time uh, and energy that LPA takes uh, going through the revisions. Um, and I have, you know, reviewed revi the revisions, but, but was waiting for this meeting just to figure out how we're going to approach it, as Lynn is suggesting. Other ideas for how we should approach this? Well, and this is Commissioner Johnson. I'm I'm new enough that I don't know what is a significant change or not. So I can't provide you guidance on what what to start with. I don't know if what the um Lawrence Preservation Alliance put together whether whether they actually honed in on the the most significant things so we should start with it or we just want to start at the top and go down but I I don't know uh I don't know what I don't know uh this is Commissioner Isel I think we could simply start with article one and go through an order and we can ask the commissioners if they have any input to each article and if they don't we can skip on uh, i think the lpa's letter was very good and we could also you know jump over to the lpa's letter as we get to that article This is Commissioner Holly. I support that approach. Thanks. Commissioner Irby, let's do it. <laughs> Lynn Braddock Zollner, Historic Resources Administrator. So just to briefly do an overview, um, things that have changed on the article listing, there are new um, articles and names for the articles. So that's just an introductory item um, that's a housekeeping for Article 1, as I mentioned, the word publicizing was changed to promotion in items F and G. Um, it changed application to applicability, added applicability statement and general rules of construction, and removed all the definitions. The definitions were all moved to the end of the chapter in Article 14. Does anybody have any questions about Article one, it's um, there's a lot of legal language in there about how to interpret words in the chapter. Seeing none, we'll move to article Lynn, two. Oh, I'm sorry. What is the distinction between publicizing and promotion? I mean, I, I understand the words, but... Is um, it a legal? It was a legal change. It's a legal reason. Yes. Okay. 
And sometimes you'll hear me say that throughout the document. I know our legal team did an extensive review of the document and added um, things to make it more appropriate as a legal document. Okay. Sorry, Commissioner Holly. I, I have no other questions about Article 1. So large changes in Article 2 was that um, it changed the membership of the commission to have two architects. That's by practice. We've always had two architects on the commission, but it was not enumerated in this section of the code. And so to have that, so we always have those two architects on the commission is a really important thing. Um, it changed the term term limits and compensation. That was another item added by our legal staff. Um, it did go ahead and change terms to three years and provided for unexpired terms. The times were already three years, but this is just a legal clarification on term limits and compensation. Um, it added a section for vacancies and how that would be done, again, by our legal staff. It did add a separate section for officers, subcommittees, bylaws, meetings and quorum, conflict of interest, minutes and open meetings and open records. Again, that was done by our legal staff. Um, on the duties of the commission, it removed, adopt its own procedural regulations. This is now covered in an above section. It changed language in five to maintain and underlying each designation. It changed language in 10 to be more concise. It changed language in 11 to remove with reasonable concern for both property or district and property owner. It added language to 12 to include subdivision and proposed development projects and include context areas. It removed the 10-day language and added the project must go before HRC or BCA or Planning Commission. And that has been something in the past that has been confusing for all three bodies, um, which would hear a project if it had to have approvals from three bodies. And um, there had always been um, kind of a gentleman's agreement that it would go to HRC first and then to the BCA and Planning Commission but this codifies that so that it would go to HRC first and then BCA and or Planning Commission after that. Um, it clarified some language in both 13 and 14 and removed example of expenditure of funds. It removed number 18 to confer recognition upon owners by certificates and plaques. That was um, initially in when Chapter 22 was adopted, there was an awards program. Staff felt that this was something that was better done by a nonprofit organization or a community organization and not the Historic Resources Commission. It's unusual for the review body to actually confer awards for preservation projects. Um, there was some more clarification, and it removed D under number 22. The new added 22 was to designate authority to the Historic Resources Administrator 
or a designee to approve certain projects that require certificate of approval as the commission finds appropriate. And that is new. The previous language would give some authority to uh, the chair and um, commissioners to do administrative approvals if it was before the next meeting. This would actually be more in line with how we've done the practice of meetings to allow the commission to come up with a list of things that can be approved by staff and allow those administrative approvals to take place so that it takes burden off the applicant to have to wait that month um, to get simple projects approved and before the commission. Um, that's it about, I guess I should have uh, mentioned in the beginning, the two big overarching changes to the chapter are um, certificate of appropriateness becomes certificate of approval. It takes out the ambiguity of appropriateness and um, is a more appropriate term for what the commission does. And then the environs, um, term environs goes away and is replaced by context review. And the context review is still 250 feet from the property, but it is only for changes visible from the public right-of-way. So those are two overarching big changes for the whole chapter. And that's all I have for Article 2. Commissioner Irby, I do want to, uh, I want us to thank the LPA for their careful review and uh, recommendations. Uh, I agree that I think this was excellent and really helpful. So thank you very much, LPA. Well, this is Commissioner Johnson. I have a question about the being viewable from the right of way. Does, um, so I'm I'm thinking of the most recent kind of test of this with the the turn the house that was wanting to add the elevator lift and you couldn't see what they were going to add from the right of way because of the trees would would that make a difference in that case I don't think it would because it would still, you usually don't take landscaping into consideration when you're reviewing a project because it's temporary in nature. Right. So the, the viewable from right of way isn't literal in the sense of landscaping, <laughs> I guess. Sure. Okay. Correct. Okay. So are we ready to move to Article 3? Okay, so Article 3 changed the um, survey section, and I'm not going to read it all to you. It's in that summary document for you to see. Um, basically, um, it, it keeps the survey um, in the chapter that allows the commission to review and evaluate studies prepared by a unit of government or private properties and compile appropriate descriptions, facts, and photographs. 
and the commission shall maintain all surveys and studies in a form that is compatible with the documentation system by the State Historic Preservation Office. Um, the City Commission shall identify potential landmarks in historic districts and is interpreted from survey and survey results. Maintain procedures to nominate potential landmarks in historic districts and use the survey study information in determining whether or not to issue under this chapter certificates of approval or certificates of economic hardship. And then it clarified the language for inventory. Any questions? I have a question, Commissioner Coleman, um, about the economic hardship portion. So it changed it from, or it added a requirement to prove it, or it removed that? The economic hardship provision, that's a later section, a later article that has its own um, article in the documents. Okay, Does that answer your question? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Commissioner Klein, did you have a question? I don't have a question. I, Commissioner Klein, I don't have a question. I just wanted to say that I think Article 3 reads very well. The changes in Article 3 uh, read very well. Thank you. So we'll move on to Article 4. Um, it clarified the language, the legal language for an added comments, um, added amendments section. It removed language for owner consent twice for the interior designation. It removed D4 for abutting property as an inclusion. It removed key contributing to be more in line with the SHPO designations. They do not use key contributing anymore. They use contributing and non-contributing. Um, it removed the list. If you noticed in the old chapter 22, it listed out each individual property that was listed and the historic district that was listed. This removes that list and incorporates the landmark map by reference so that that section doesn't have to um, be amended every time we add a new landmark to the landmark list. It changed the owner consent language to, um, it was a little bit complicated in the way that we reviewed historic district nominations and it just removed that and changed it to 51% property owners um, to protest the nomination of a district. Um, one of my favorites is it added a pre-submittal requirement for projects. And it added application materials to include the history of the property, the architectural description of the property, photographs of the property. It moved procedures for nomination to the next section, moving the criteria below procedures. It removed the requirement for public hearing within 45 to 60 days. The public hearing cannot be um, prior to 30 days. Um, there were some scheduling challenges within that 45 to 60 day 
window. And so now it is a complete application, but it cannot be held prior to 30 days. It changed the order of language to be clearer on process. It removed design guidelines as part of the recommendation of the governing body. This is a clerical error and will be added back. The criteria for designation change to be consistent with the National Register of Historic Places criteria. So there used to be several um, criteria listed in the chapter for designation, and those were condensed into the criteria used by the National Register of Historic Places. It added legal language to hearing before the governing body. Um, that's also something that you'll notice throughout the chapter. The city commission was changed to governing body in case there's a name change um, for that governing body in the future. It added a legal process for the public hearing before the governing body. It added protest procedures um, with a 14-day requirement for a protest of the recommendation by the HRC. It removed 50-year criteria for a highly significant, added the survey of the HRA and two other preservation specialists to determine highly significant, and added proposed structure must meet the criteria for the National Register as determined by the SHPO. It added amendment and recession of nomination to this article. Recession must be made by two-thirds vote of the HRC and a supermajority of the governing body. So there continues to be a way to delist a property, um, but it has to be by two-thirds vote of the HRC and a supermajority of the governing body. And those are the proposed changes for Article 4. Okay, moving on to the big one, certificate of approval. Um, it added when a um, certificate of approval is required for listed properties to include sign permits, site plans, or subdivisions, ground disturbing projects, improvements or development in the public right of way. Um, those were not enumerated in the um, existing version of the chapter. It did go ahead and separate projects out for the context area. Um, it speaks to exterior changes visible from the public right of way and sign permits, site plans or subdivisions, ground disturbing projects, improvements in the public right of way would still include demolition permits. It added a seven day pre-submittal meeting and the application can be submitted by the appropriate city department to the HRA. It added administrative determinations by the HRC, HRA, sorry, instead of a subcommittee of the HRC or the chair of the HRC. Um, there will be a list of administrative reviews provided by the Historic Resources Commission and given to staff as projects that can be reviewed administratively.
Uh, one of the big things I think for this article and something that we've struggled with in the past is it added the ability of the Historic Resources Commission to grant conditional approvals. And if the commission granted a conditional approval, then if those additions were be um, would be met, then staff could release the project and it would not have to come back to the full commission for review. So that would be a significant change. It also adds that all context reviews would be completed by the HRA. If for some reason they did not meet the standards and guidelines in the chapter, then they would be forwarded to the full commission. But there again, it's to allow for some flexibility in those context areas to be able to get through the process without delay of having to come and wait for Historic Resources Commission meeting. For the denial of the certificate of approval, it added that if the applicant meets the conditions recommended by the HRC, the HRA can administratively approve the project, which I just mentioned. It added language for person aggrieved by the termination of the HRC and changed the date of the governing body hearing from to 45 days from the 30 days that it is now. Um, for the standards of review, it removed the sliding scale of review, changed review standards to the Secretary of the Interior standards for properties that are listed in um, historic districts, and then added standards for context areas, and those um, are listed in the document. Um, some significant changes to design criteria. Um, it reduced language in A to reduce redundancy from other parts of the chapter and to have a specific code statement. It changed language to remove the adoption of design criteria. When this original um, ordinance was written, there were no design criteria. And so one of the um, items in the code was to adopt design criteria. Y'all have design criteria and this will um, have design criteria in the document, so that's no longer needed. It changed exterior alterate changed alterations to exterior alterations and separated listed properties from context area properties. It identified the context area reviews are only for projects viewed from the public right of way. It changed language and new construction and additions to existing buildings to include context area. It removed the word harmony and added context area. It changed the location of the illustrative criteria before this was, um, because they were done after the adoption of the ordinance, they came back in under a different section in the code. And so this actually puts the design criteria with um, the criteria listed in the design criteria section. Um, other changes in this article, um, 
The illustrated design criteria was changed to include separate guidelines for listed historic district and context areas. Um, the drawings are not in here yet. We're still working on those. But if you notice, um, there's one that speaks to listed properties or historic districts. And then there's a separate um, description for what applies to context areas. For the demolition relocation land surface changes, uh, was changed to add exceptions to separate out context areas. Added demolition of primary structures and context areas will be evaluated by the HRA or the HRC for integrity, originality, craftsmanship, age, or historical significance to determine if they contribute to the context area. Demolition may be approved if the structure does not contribute to the context area. Compatible replacement structure is proposed. Separate out context areas for land surface changes. Um, it added context areas for the signage guidelines and added that signs be proportionate to the structure and similar in size to signs in the district or context area. It also added that signs should not be painted on unpainted masonry. And for the accessory structures and landscaping, it added context areas to be considered um, as well. So that was a lot for Article 5, so I'd be happy to discuss any of those if you have any questions. Well, this is Commissioner Johnson, and this may be more for my education. Under the standards for review, um, number five about contemporary design, um, it 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 has about that um, the design is compatible with the size, scale, massing, setbacks, material, and character of the designated landmark or historic district. It it seems to me that in the past, this doesn't really seem to have been used. I mean, the contemporary design that I see around doesn't, I mean, the setbacks are set back way far. The massing, there's garages in front. The scale and material are different. I just educate me on how that gets applied. So I I think the intent was more to design being um, modern and of its time as opposed to having to replicate a historic structure, but then to have those setbacks and um, all those items be compatible mm -hmm. with the existing historic character. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I might need a separate training session on how that gets interpreted because I don't see that getting interpreted quite, I'm not seeing it. So that may be where I just need some more help. Um, and then I had a question about the signage guidelines. Um, added signs to be proportionate to the structure and similar in size to signs in the district or context area. Um, sometimes language like that gets difficult when the signs in the area are not what you would like to have repeated. <laughs> and so is that a problem or no? Um, 
I think that's a very good question for the commission to discuss. Because I just don't, it seems like whenever there's things like that in an ordinance, if everything there is how you would like it to be, great. If over time people have built things that are very strange and code enforcement hasn't caught it or, you know, whatever happens over time, it it then is unfortunate that someone can point to the cinder block sign next door and go, see, they have this awful sign. That means I can do an awful sign <laughs> to, to use technical language. Um, what page? Yeah. Which, yeah. which section? It's, uh, it's section five. Uh, right above the the bold article six. Can we refine it to refer to significant, historically significant or previously approved or something? Okay. And then this is Commissioner Johnson. I think the letter we got had things particular to Article 6, if we want to go back to what was in there. I mean, Article 5, rather, sorry. Okay. There were specific things in the Lawrence Preservation Alliance on Article 5. I think that's appropriate for the commission to discuss those at this time so that we don't get to the end and lose sight. Commissioner Irby, uh, yeah, I I mean, I, I think we should do it as we go. I I agree with, I mean, Article 5, it's, it sounds like they're saying positive things uh, and I don't I don't disagree. Does anyone feel differently? Commissioner Klein. Um, Commissioner Klein, that's exactly what I was pointing out is that what they were the two points in Article 5 that they were mentioning were positive um, uh, things that they liked in particular. Uh-huh. So I think we can go with that. So do we want to say anything more about the sign? Yes, Commissioner Coleman. Yes, I believe that um, the LPA letter, Article 5, 22-505, they're suggesting some rewording. Can we take comment? This is Avery Kerner, planning staff. There's a representative from Lawrence Preservation Alliance uh, in attendance, if it's appropriate for them to speak on this or uh, help answer questions. Sure. Uh, 
can someone clarify for me though my reading of 22505 is fire what is stopping i'm doing that i don't i don't i see the criticism in that well, we have a, this is Commissioner Johnson, we have a representative here, maybe he can just tell us if there's, if we're reading it incorrectly or. This is Mike Delaney again, I'm I'm the president of the LPA. I, Dennis Brown and I spent a considerable amount of time on this issue, and we had some preliminary conversations with, with Lynn. Um historically and Dennis can certainly speak to this and uh, as uh, staff could as well the, uh, the environs piece of the uh, of the review process in the past that this context uh, evaluation is 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 replacing um has been the source of a lot of controversy in the community over the years and and the suggestions that we made um were to uh, reduce those um it reduced some of those cases where somebody was at the very fringe of the would be at the very fringe of the context area and um and nothing that was that they were doing to their property would actually have uh, have been within the 250 foot radius and what we're trying to do is um uh is you know sort of shrink the radius in which um controversies are likely to arise because this is an this is an area um where both the preservation alliance that has an interest in enforcing these guidelines helping to enforce the guidelines and Oregon um uh, it sometimes has a difficult time explaining to somebody why something they want to do that's actually outside the environs um as it was previously measured ought to be subject to the to the regulation and we thought by by defining uh, this 250 foot radius, um, a, a, you know, in a in a way that excluded um, uh, areas outside um, in any activity on a lot that would that might be within 250 feet, but that where the activity itself wasn't going to be within 250 feet might help to reduce that. And the whole the whole issue here, and it it's uh, it, it led us to make a suggestion about about putting back in some language that was in the old um uh, was in the old uh code um is that the the context area is really to sort of protect the height and the mass and the size um of the structures uh that are adjacent to a historic structure or a historic district to keep to keep a structure in that context area or in the old environs from sort of overwhelming um, the historic building, um, not to really interfere all that much with what people could do with that property, but but to keep them from doing something with that property that would damage the historic structure or the historic district. And so we've made a couple of suggestions there to to try to uh, to provide, in some respects, a little more flexibility for the commission in deciding. Yeah, that's tall, but there are two other pretty tall structures already in that area. Uh, and therefore, uh, it wouldn't seriously impact. Uh, and I think the more of that, and, and these are only suggestions, uh, y'all, as you look through this, may have your own thoughts about what uh, language that would help uh, resolve those kinds of conflicts. Um, 
But but we think that the fewer uh, times that the HRC and, and by extension, the LPA and the staff have to tell folks, you can't do this, uh, even though it, it really doesn't make all that much difference. Um, the, the fewer times that arises, the better off the community will be. If, if it really doesn't have an impact on the historic district or the historic building, then then there ought to be a way for the HRC to say, um, that's okay. We, we can we can live with that. And that's why we've tried to do tried uh, tried to add some flexibility in the in the approach. It's not that we it's not that we don't very much believe that some context, around historic structures has to be protected. Otherwise, you wind up in a situation um, like um, the, the proposed uh, six or seven story building across the street from the, 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 the English Lutheran Church downtown. It just overwhelms that structure if, if, that, if that happens. And we think that, that the changes that the staff has, has put together here go a long way to, to sort of diminishing that. But there are plenty of folks in the community that are going to object to any sort of anything that looks like the old environs protection. And I think our efforts here were to try to uh, to, to try to um, eliminate as much of that conflict as it was possible, while still protecting the essence of what context area protection is supposed to do. Commissioner Irby, yes, thank you for that explanation. It resonates with me personally. Commissioner Holly, a question to Vice Chair Irby um, and to Lynn for our comment. It also resonates, I'll say it also resonates with me, the comments on Chapter 5. Would it be appropriate end goal here? Like, do we, are there motions to write a memo that HRC ending a vote is in favor of? such for incorporation it's beyond our purview to accept specific language but if we were to say we're in favor of these thoughtful recommendations what does that look like that's kind of what we're here for if the hrc thinks that these are things that should be added into the document then this would be the time to say yes staff we think these are good ideas we'd like to see them incorporated into the document and then when this comes back to you you would be able to review and approve or um, strike out those items does that answer your question yeah okay i'll say personally staff i would love to i would like to see the those changes the chapter five changes one one person's opinion Commissioner Irby, I agree. Do we want to vote? Or do we want to vote article by article? Lynn Braddock Zollner, Historic Resources Administrator. You don't really have to vote on anything tonight. It's just um, giving staff guidance and going through the document to see what the changes were and giving staff guidance on what changes you would like to see or answer any questions that you might have. Commissioner Irby, okay, thank you. Does anyone else have comments on Article 5? I think 
one on my head. And and Commissioner Johnson, I had a question about the 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 kind of the the changes um, and refinement of the definition of the context area. Can can I get examples of where that would be different than what? Like, what would be the impact of the the change? The change that LPA is proposed. Yeah. So right now, the way we look at um, environs reviews is if it touches the property, that 250-foot radius, then anything on the property gets reviewed for its impact on the listed properties. Mm -hmm. okay. I believe an LPA can, can correct me if I'm wrong, but this would not just include the whole parcel it, the um, activity would actually have to be within that 250 foot radius i see to require review okay is that, is that right okay yes because sometimes we've had cases where yeah the environs hit like a tiny corner of a giant lot yeah and it's like well the house is another 100 feet away yeah yeah and it's smoothing over that yeah yeah is my is how I yeah. read it. Okay, thank you. Uh, Commissioner Irby, may I speak? I'm uh, Dennis Brown of the LPA board. I, I want to add on to some things that Mike said. Our, our letter is maybe a little scattered in that we jumped around between, we didn't really go from one, two, three. Uh, so we refer to Article 5 with a couple of positive comments on the first page. But by the time we get to the last page, or just before that, where we start, where we, the bullet point context areas, we start getting into some specific changes that we still think should be made. And, and one of those, you know, it, I've been, uh, uh, following HRC for a long time. And it's amazing how many times people come in and the first thing they say is, uh, the only reason I'm here is the corner of my lot that's grass or where I keep my trash can. I call it the trash can defense because that's where I first heard it. <laughs> my trash can is in the environs and now you're, you're telling me what kind of windows I should put on my house. And as an LPA member who wants to support the HRC and support preservation uh, activities, I'm going, wow, you know, that's a little hard to refute. We think that the actual structure where the building permit is being proposed or its footprint, if it's an addition, should be within that 250 foot environs. And at least that's a little more defensible for the HRC and the preservation community. I mean, they can come in and say, the corner of my building that I'm working on is within the radius. Well, we go, well, yeah, that's the way it goes. But the way it is now is, I think the public perception of that is really rough. Um, and Mike's done a great job of, of helping to actually rewrite code so our ideas actually become code language, uh, which I think will be a little more helpful. Uh, another thing uh, on 22507C, the height of new accessory structures um, in the 
current proposed language should be significantly less than the primary structure. Uh, we're following uh, the LDC process too, and, and a big thing they say is remove subjective language and replace it with objective language. I remember too, uh, I was watching uh, uh, an HRC meeting that had, it's about a year, year and a half ago, there's been some new, there's some new commissioners since that time, but the agenda had two uh, new detached building proposals behind two smaller houses. They were within a block of each other, but they were separate proposals. Each client had, each applicant had hired an, uh, uh, an architect. Neither architect was familiar with historic code to my eye. Uh, so there was a learning process and the meeting just involved them saying, how high can we build it? Don't get into abstracts and tell us to come back and we'll see if you like it. How high? And I was realizing that's kind of a simplistic question, but to say 10% uh, less than the, the primary structure or 15% is better than significantly less. So it's a simple change that I think could make your future lives as commissioners a lot easier. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Irby. Thank you, Dennis. Commissioner Coleman, I agree. I agree that the um, the language hard to follow and hard to um, advise applicants on exactly what to do and what might get. And I also appreciate the thoughts on the. Um, the context area um, and the, 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 uh, the building or the structure, the reason that the person is applying for the permit needs to be within that partially or wholly within that context area uh, radius. I agree with that as well and have found it frustrating um, when just part of the property is within the context area that the whole thing has to take the time of the commission to review. Commissioner Arby, I agree. Do we wanna move on to the next one? Yes. Uh, Lynn Braddock-Zollner, Historic Resources Administrator. I did want to point out, and I think LPA had identified this as well, um, that the sliding scale was removed and they were expressing changes that, um, do you know what I'm talking about, Mike? Taking the sliding scale out and y'all were proposing something else. Or maybe that's not in this one.
I'll have to go back and look for that and I can bring that back to your attention. Yeah, it's on that that standards for review page. It says removed sliding scale of review. And then you've got one, two, three, four, five. Yes. Yeah. I don't see it in the letter though. No. Yeah, I didn't see that in the letter either. Okay. All right. So Article 6, um, the changes there were adding a licensed contractor to estimate the cost instead of it just having a lay person. It should be someone licensed with the city as a contractor. It added a minimum of five years experience for the report of structural soundness and demolition, and that was to provide for someone who is knowledgeable in the preservation field or the rehabilitation field to make those assumptions and analyses. Um, it removed itemized operating and maintenance expenses and depreciation deduction and annual cash flow language. It removed remaining balance on any mortgage for the previous two years. It added a statement from that there would be a statement from the SHPO that the property was not eligible for historic preservation financial incentive programs. It added that the applicant can be reviewed at a regular scheduled meeting or one called for the purpose of review. Again, this one added conditions of approval, which has not been available in the past. It added language to the appeal section and changed the appeal time frame from 15 to 14 days and changed the days to be heard by the governing body to 45 days from 30. And this is for economic hardship. Uh, Lynn, one comment on the estimate. Um, while I hesitate to give this particular group any additional work, I would suggest adding licensed contractor or professional cost est estimator because such do exist. Okay. And they're good. They're a force for good. <laughs> Well, this is Commissioner Johnson. How do you know that they're a, a, a whatchamacallit? What, what you just said. <laughs> do they have like a certificate or a license or something or or what? I think they're licensed. Licensed. Um, do you know offhand? I'd, I've never encountered an imposter. It's a very niche field. <laughs> to, let me look that right up. Is that too much of a requirement? Is that too high of a standard? Oh, I'm saying in addition to contractor. So there's language being added that a contractor, oh, or. a contractor, I'm saying expand it so that if it's probably unlikely, if someone didn't want to go to a contractor, but they called Pat Barco, who's been doing estimates for yeah, 30 I mean, either years. Either is appropriate, but both is a little excessive. Oh yeah, not both. Right. No, no. And would you? Contractors are licensed. 
I mean, if you're a general contractor or you're an electrician or a plumber or a heating and air or even flat work or roof, they're all licensed within the city of Lawrence. Yes, we were talking about estimators, professional estimators. That I don't know. And would they still need to have that same experience? Which experience? Uh, sorry. Um, five years experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is not anything I'd fall on my sword for. I don't represent the International Cost Estimating and Analysis Association, but I would say some a professional cost estimator, estimator from a nationally recognized, I might even be vague and just because there's a couple, it looks like okay. a nationally recognized trade association with at least five years experience. Mm -hmm. Again, this might not ever come up in practice. We use them at our firm sometimes when we just when we don't have a contractor on board, but it's big enough that we want something other than architects gut check and it's because they keep their eyes on the market so would have a similar service that the contractor could provide anything else in article six In Article 7, there weren't that many changes. It added the burden of proof language, cleared that up a little bit, and added language for the conduct of hearings and general rules. In Article 8, it removed language in the introductory paragraph to a statement of purpose for the chapter. Um, it removed the language to enter to agreements with other units of government, including the SHPO. That's not something that um, has to be included in the chapter. It did add context review. It added review of public improvements and it added review of vacation or streets or alleys. And I will say I did meet with our um, Parks and Recreation Department and our Municipal Services and Operations Department on these changes. Um, luckily, they have been doing this for years where they go through the process if they have a project, and this would just codify that so that everybody knows they're playing on the same field. Any other questions? So for Article 9... Uh, just a few changes there. It changed the experience requirement from two to five years for the Historic Resources Administrator. Um, it removed that the administrator has to develop applications and forms. I think that's a given that the it's a clerical duty that's taken on by the planning department. 
It added forwarding minutes to the governing body. That's something that we're supposed to do and just need to codify that in this chapter. It added language to include notice by um, required federal, state, or local laws and regulations. That's another one from our legal department. And they also changed some of the language to be clearer. They added language to include education to city staff. And they added reviewing and approving certain applications for certificate of approval as determined and delegated by the HRC. So that's a new dinner, a new um, a new thing for the administrator to do. Is there any questions or concerns about adding that? I believe the LPA had a comment about that chapter. 9B. We, uh, yes, Mike Delaney again. Uh, yeah, we did. Um, we view the administrator's role as so important that um, uh, in the uh, unlikely event that we lose the administrator, um, there, there ought to be language in the uh, in the ordinance that uh, suggests that uh, hiring a replacement with the appropriate skills is a high priority. And I think we tried to reflect that in the change that we made by by suggesting that uh, that it was it was appropriate to seek a proper placement with the appropriate skills, and to appoint someone with as close uh, skills in the meantime, the the the, the uh, administrator's responsibility in administering the uh, the uh, certified local government relationship with the state historic preservation office really requires somebody who knows uh, that area. Um, we're in the process of uh, of uh, going through another change uh, and losing the person at the county uh, that's responsible for that, and uh, there are all kinds of balls in the air that uh, that it's important to make sure somebody who knows uh, what what's happening can take care of. So that that was the purpose for that. Commissioner Irby, I, this seems like a good addition to me. I don't have any problem with it. Commissioner Holly, uh, I agree with Commissioner Irby. Um, Lynn, you were asking a question and I apologize. I was reading where you said there was an added duty that you were asking about. I didn't track that. Yeah, that would be for the HRA to be doing the certificate of approval um, based on a list that the HRC gives as guidance. So um, there again, going back to that, not holding up applicants for the next Historic Resources Commission meeting if it's a simple project um, that the HRA can approve administratively. So is this addition tied to the other addition in, in your mind, or is this... A, a bigger addition. No, I think it's tied to the other addition. It's just putting it in as a duty of the administrator 
so that it's clear that the administrator has that ability to do those projects. But that was set up in the earlier part of the chapter that there could be administrative reviews. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm in support. Commissioner Irby, I have to get my uh, power cord, but uh, should we move on to the next article? Yes. So Article 10 um, added adapt adaptive reuse projects is for um, one of the things that the commission could help with. It changed the language in the preservation easements to include um, acquiring for national and state registered properties. And it added language for the purposes of the chapter. Added language to include areas in cost of conducting and preparing surveys and nominations, and it removed the award program. Commissioner Klein. Um, Commissioner Klein, um, Ms. Zollner, um, my question about removing the award program, was that because um, it would be better suited? I think I heard you say earlier, it'd be better suited for a nonprofit such as LPA to handle awards instead of a governing body. Is that what, what that change is about? That's correct. And I've been here 20 years and we've never um, instituted this program before. Okay. So it's something that's in the chapter, but it's never been utilized. And staff is of the opinion that um, it's not really for the commission to pick and choose good applicants that that's something that Lawrence Preservation Alliance does currently, and there may be other um, entities out there that would want to institute those types of awards. So moving on to Article 11, Article 11 used to be fees. And now the planning department sets those fees and it does not have to be codified in this um, chapter of the um, city code, but it replaced the article with the Article 11 emergency procedures. And we've talked about this in the past. If for some reason there is need of a demolition in part or in whole, of a property that's listed in the Lawrence Register of Historic Places, the district or the context area. Currently, if that project cannot move forward into the Historic Resources Commission approves that certificate of appropriateness. This change would allow if there's no way to get that um, request for demolition to the HRC before the next HRC meeting and there's public safety and welfare issues, it would allow for those structures to be demolished prior to the HRC hearing it at a public hearing. And there are a couple of things that have to happen. The building official must submit a written report stating the condition and deficiency of the property and how it constitutes an immediate hazard to the public health, safety, or welfare. It provides for the HRA to document the property, and it provides that the HRA find there's no feasible or prudent alternative to the demolition and that all possible planning has been done to minimize harm to any other historic property. 
So this would be totally new for the chapter. Commissioner Klein. Uh, Commissioner Klein, um, uh, Ms. Zillner, can you give a recent example of uh, when a structure needed to be demolished um, as an emergency demolition due to safety problems? We did. We had um, a garage over in the Pinckney neighborhood and a sinkhole developed on the structural corner of the garage and the garage was in immediate uh, danger of collapsing. And there, the Historic Resources Commission wasn't going to meet. They had just missed the meeting and it would be almost a month before the commission can meet to hear that demolition request. There was no way provided for that demolition to take place. Um, the city manager had to end up writing um, a letter to the Historic Resources Commission to explain why the structure was taken down in such a manner before it went to the Historic Resources Commission meeting. So it hasn't happened often, but it has happened a couple of times where that delay in getting to the HRC meeting um, did pose a threat and danger to health, safety, and welfare. Thank you. Commissioner Irby, I'm not opposed to this. Any other any other thoughts on this addition? I'm in favor of it. Sounds like we're ready to move on to Article 12. So Article 12 is almost totally new. Um, there was one paragraph in the existing code that spoke to maintenance of historic properties. Um, Article 12 now has um, several items for consideration, whether or not a property is considered um, needing minimum maintenance. Those are outlined in that chapter, in that article, sorry. And then also a process whereby the Historic Resources Commission would work with the applicant on may, um, upgrading that property to be meeting those minimum maintenance standards. And I know, I think LPA has comment on this too. This is Mike Delaney again. Um, the LPA very much uh, likes the um, minimum maintenance requirements. Um, we have some misgivings about putting the um, the HRC in the enforcement role, um, like the codes administration folks are. Um, we think this is uh, likely to be another point of friction with the community, uh, and the, at least in our judgment, we we had certainly didn't discuss this with anybody at uh, codes enforcement. But but there are, there are other folks in the city staff that do this kind of work on a regular basis and and uh, and it seems to me that it might be more appropriate for the enforcement of the uh, of a party's failure to uh, adequately maintain the property be left to the folks that enforce other codes in the city so and I we you, you'll notice we didn't propose any language because frankly I hadn't figured out uh, we hadn't I uh, hadn't really thought through what the what the overlap would be or, or, or how the integration of 
uh, the enforcement of the minimum maintenance uh, requirement and uh, and the enforcement as a as a sort of a codes matter uh, might take place. But we really think that that the HRC ought to ought to think about that um, because that is going to that is likely to be another area that creates. Um, uh, additional sources of friction between uh, folks in the community and uh, and the HRC. And uh, one of our hopes is that we can minimize those to the extent that we can. And I think after hearing the concerns from LPA, um, staff went back and looked at this and there are things um, that would be reviewed by our current code enforcement officers. And that may be one of the alternatives, and I'd be happy to, um, interested to hear what the commission thinks, would be to be able to identify those things that are minimum maintenance and then have the ability of the HRC to um, recommend to the code enforcement staff that they follow up, not necessarily taking it through the process to um, ultimate conclusion, but that they follow up with the property owner on those items. So it would be the HRC seeing the, um, for lack of a better term, demolition by neglect items, and then referring that to the code enforcement department. Commissioner Irby, uh, does the rest of the commission feedback on that? Uh, that sounds good to me. Well, this is Commissioner Johnson. I'm just wondering how does this um, get triggered? Um, would it be a neighbor calling or code enforcement going around and going, oh gosh, that looks like there's some demolition by neglect or planning staff going out for lunch and noticing something? I mean, how, how would it get triggered the process? It's usually on a complaint basis, or it could be a commissioner driving by property and bringing it to the full commission's um, attention. This is Commissioner Ezell. In, in either one of those cases, the complaint could be referred to to the city instead of to the HRC. I mean, if I drove by a house that was obviously neglected, I would not probably go to the HRC, I would go to the city. But if there are things that would not necessarily be structural or health related deficiencies, if there are any, would there, would that instead be appropriate to go to the HRC instead of the city. And maybe that's what we need to limit the scope of this to. Well, this is Commissioner Johnson. How does this dovetail with minimum maintenance requirements that for an, a non-historic property that code enforcement might catch. I think some of the, um, looking at the language, some of the items 
would not be things that the code enforcement people were typically looking at. Mm. Mm. Let me pull that up real quick. Yeah, it's uh, Commissioner Johnson. It, it it's almost as if this language should be added to code enforcement's um, duties, and then if if code enforcement says, you know, your your roof is falling in, you need to repair that. You're in a historic district. Then that person says, oh well, I want to file a hardship. Then it goes to the HRC. And I think Commissioner Johnson, the difference was just going back and looking at this list, it's um, more specific um, as to what those defects or deficiencies mm. would be. Mm -hmm. But I think it may be appropriate to um, look at changing that language and taking it out of a public hearing process for the Historic Resources Commission and just have the commission refer that to code enforcement. Mm -hmm. I don't know how people feel about that. I like that better. Well, and this is Commissioner Johnson. It, it could, I mean, have the potential of that all that we do are these sorts of cases. I mean, we could be doing that every month. And that's all we do. You know, if we're the first line of defense versus code enforcement. It looks like Commissioner Klein wants to talk. Well, again, uh, Commissioner or Commissioner Clint, Commissioner Johnson, I'm going back to your point about what triggers it, and I guess I'm imagining, you know, that there's a tornado, there's a, a, a microburst, there's flooding, there's, you know, I'm trying to imagine emergency situations in the context of, you know, we can't wait for the next HRC meeting, um, you know, as opposed to somebody driving by and noticing, oh, gee, it looks like it might fall down, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I have similar concerns to you and, and to the um, LPA about that the HRC should not become a code enforcement um, body of sorts. But, but I'm just trying to imagine what kinds of emergency situations would come up. Well, and this isn't just, this isn't for emergencies, this is just minimum maintenance. Mm. Right, okay. <laughs> Commissioner Coleman, I believe it's for the case of demolition by neglect. So uh, minimum maintenance standards are important and um, you want to get the word out to everyone that has a historic structure, how to take care of it, which is great. Um, but 
I don't think that the HRC should enforce the maintenance of properties. So it's kind of a, it's a, where does it live? You know, where, mm -hmm. where does this language live? Because it's, it's a, a good um, suggestion and recommendation to anyone who has a historic property. But it, it doesn't seem that that's, that should be this body's job. Um, and I think what we're, I think the intent was good. It was trying to avoid the situation where the house, the garage, the whatever structure is not maintained and it slowly falls down. The mortar fa slowly falls out of the stone. The siding slowly falls off the building and then they have it has to be removed because it's no longer salvageable and it's an economic hardship and all that. So it's trying to avoid that and head it off at the pass. Mm -hmm. um, so it's trying to do a good thing, but I, I don't think it should live in chap in this chapter. Well, this is Commissioner Johnson. You have you have code enforcement, and you've got the um, the housing inspectors um, for any historic properties that are rented. So both of those should be on the lookout, um, and and they could trigger things, um, or a building inspector that's been called in to do a, I don't know, water tank. And they notice, oh, my gosh, this is about to fall in, um, that those could be be triggers. But it is often that when cities do have some sort of minimum maintenance requirement for um, structures in historic districts, that there is, here's information on how to do that repair well and, oh, we have a fund that could help with this. I mean, so there's there's things like that 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 help take some of the the burn off. So this is Commissioner Zell. I think I came up with an answer to my own question. Uh, there's some enumerated things within twelve oh one. A and you know one two three four five six six those are all what all fall under the purview of city building inspections but these are all related to structures but let's say let's say you have a sign let's say you have a monument sign so it's standing out in the yard and and it's completely overgrown with shrubbery or maybe the sign is in complete disrepair the building inspection department would could care less about that whereas maybe we might that's about the only instance i can think of something that's non-structural but perhaps of historic significance that we might be concerned with. 
Commissioner. Chair Herbie. Chair Herbie, could I speak? Sure. Okay. Um, I think you guys are having a, a really good discussion about the scope of this and what triggers it, who is the per person or entity that brings something like this up. The only other thing I would like to add to the LPA portion of the discussion, and you, you know from our letter that we have strong reservations about this going forward as is. Uh, but the context areas also slips into all of this language in this new requirement. And we would caution against that. One thing you have to think about is if, uh, if someone has a property that's listed or in a district, uh, if they're on the state or national registers, they have opportunities to do uh, take advantage of the historic tax credit for a maintenance project, possibly even a trust fund grant that's more less likely. But they, they have some avenues that folks in the context areas don't have. And we're trying in this document, one thing LPA is encouraging us to try is to lighten our touch on context areas. So here we're taking a brand new area and adding some burden to context areas that wasn't there before. Um, I don't think that's a good look for HRC if the rubber hit the road and, and this uh, article was actually being extensively utilized. So we would suggest all along there uh, of the language where it says landmarks, districts, and context areas removing the context areas. Lynn Braddock Zollner, Historic Resources Administrator. We might wanna take a look back at the existing minimum maintenance requirement that's in the existing code, and that may be um, enough. That may be appropriate for um, to include as a minimum maintenance requirement. And and like Dennis mentioned, not add the context area. That sounds yeah. I would agree with that, Commissioner Arby. I would agree with that. Well, this is Commissioner Johnson. Could when you bring this back, um, could you show both so we can see both sets of language? Yes. Thanks, Commissioner Irby, Thank you. I think we're good to go on to thirteen. So Article 13 was um, refined by our legal department. It changed criminal action language to municipal offense language. It refined the legal language within those two um, separate offenses. And then it changed the minimum fine to $100 from $50 for that municipal fine. And then Article 14 is just the new article for definitions. So 
So since this was just a study session to try to get all the changes out there, um, I know you're going to think of 100 questions once the meeting's over. So what would be helpful for staff is if you email me your questions, concerns, maybe um, additional language that you would like to see proposed. If you can um, email those to me, then we can incorporate those comments and bring that back to the commission so that you have a new look at a revised document. At the same time, we are having public meetings, um, some internal staff meetings, some um, with outside public. We had a meeting with neighborhood association um, contacts. We've had a meeting with frequent users of chapter 22, like architects and um, designers. Um, we have public meetings scheduled for January 4th in the morning at noon and in the evening for people to come and give their comments. So what we'd like to do is come up with a document that reflects all those comments, bring you the comments um, that have been made by people at those meetings and then have that for you to look at at your January meeting. Commissioner Irby, so Lynn, we should email you our questions and comments in advance of the January meeting. Yes, please. The okay. sooner the better. Okay. I see Commissioner Holly yawning in my children, sorry, <laughs> you out. and my children are up way too late. Um, Commissioner Holly apologizes. He was reading the section on criminal action. <laughs> um, are there other, other comments, other questions while we're here? Been a great discussion. Thanks to the LPA. Those great comments. Yes, I echo thanking the LPA. Thank you very much. And thanks to Lynn and Avery. Robert's rule. So, oh, Commissioner Klein has something. I'll just say, I still feel like a newbie, completely ignorant of many of these situations and contexts and so forth, simply because I don't have the experience. So I just would like to confess or apologize in advance that I may not be able to offer any questions to um, HRC Administrator Zollner because I'm ignorant. <laughs> Commissioner Klein, I would say you've asked many good questions throughout this discussion, so I don't think you're as ignorant as you profess to be. Um, okay, uh, well, then I'm going to go ahead and adjourn this meeting of the Historic Resource Commission. Thanks, everybody. We got it done. More work to do, but this was good. Um, see you next month. Thank you. Thank you.